0: There's nothing better than going to like a new restaurant and just seeing all the different elements that has been put into it to make it something really special. And people really trying to do their own thing, you know what I mean? Create a, an experience that no one else is creating. And I think there's, a, there's an art in that.
1: This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. It's not easy finding your feet in life. Most of us have no idea what vocation will end up becoming our lasting one. We're always open to opportunity, but for many in hospitality, the lifestyle has been drawn like a moth into the flame. Daniel Quinn is the owner of Baja Modern Mexican in Brisbane, Queensland. Daniel, how are you going?
0: Good, thanks, Huck. How are you going today?
1: Good. You've... Uh, got a career of influence in hospitality, but you bounced in and out of it a lot in your early years. What what lured you back to hospitality every time?
0: Uh, I guess um, I do love sort of being uh, in the the vibe of the restaurant when it's nice and busy, and I guess I'm a sort of people person. So that sort of lured me in or lured me back like I did in the younger years. I went um, sort of hard in Sydney working um, my way up in the bar scene. And then yeah, I sort of burnt myself out, so I sort of left for a bit. <laughs>
1: well, tell us about uh, when you left for a bit. You you stayed in food, but not restaurants.
0: Yeah, correct. So I um ended up going out to uh, the Sydney markets and working for some friends of mine for a couple of years out there, um, which was it was super interesting. Obviously, same type of grind, super hard, long hours. Um, but still love like seeing all the fresh produce and that come in. Um, the scene out there is, yeah, it's, it's crazy.
1: <laughs> well, do you have any memories of that time, like dealing with produce um, and be- having that connection? What sort of impact did it have on you?
0: Yeah, definitely. I guess I got two memories, the good ones. <laughs> We're out there, it's just the buzz of like Sunday night, which is obviously Monday morning. Um, just the trucks coming in from all the farms from all around Australia and we'd do like a produce check. And so I'd be climbing into the trucks at like one in the morning with a, with a hangover from the weekend. <laughs> we'd be checking everything off and, um, and then with that, we'd sort of allocate produce to go to the stands. Um, some of the produce would send to Woolworths um, if it was up to scratch and then to Harris Farm also. So yeah, that was sort of one of the times that it was great, but it was hard. And then the other memory out there was similar to hospitality where it's very like family driven and like great camaraderie and it's a big team out there. And yeah, no, it was, it's a good time. Well,
1: tell us about when you were young and what food was like in your family and, and what, what drove you to start a career in hospitality? Yeah, I guess
0: food in my family when I was young. Um, my mum was a great cook. Um, she used to do these like cool sort of dinner parties and, um, when I was younger I used to get up super early after the parties and raid the fridge. and <laughs> <laughs> tucking into the chocolate mousse at six in the morning. Um but yeah, no, that that was sort of like the the younger years. And then um I went out to boarding school and uh yeah, I, I didn't I didn't see good food for six years. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah, I've got some bad memories of that. I used to stuff the food in my socks. <laughs> To get out of the get out of the refectory, um, we weren't allowed to leave with without an empty plate.
1: What sort of led to a decision to uh, go to TAFE at a, uh, after you finished school?
0: Yeah, I guess like school. Yeah, school for me was was a bit tough. I just wasn't into it that much, and unfortunately, like I said, because I was at boarding school, I was uh, stuck there um, in those years. But still, like when I left, I guess. The main reason I sort of got into the scene was I had some good uh, family friends of mine that own a few of the pubs in Sydney and um, had some fond memories of, yeah, going, going, to the, going to the friends' pubs while we were growing up at boarding school. And I guess I sort of love that vibe of like a full pub with, the, with everyone having a good time and, you know, great food and good service.
1: You mentioned the early years in your career were in bars and hotels. What were the real highlights and integral moments for you then?
0: Uh, the ho- the highlights, I guess, was um, yeah, sort of. I moved from like the pub get, sort of scene into uh, some of the the bars in Sydney, and I guess like some of the highlights in that time was um, working under some of S- Sydney's influential bartenders back sort of in the younger years that had come out of London um, from the Atlantic Bar and a few other famous bars like that. And it, I guess it really sort of, it changed, like it, it really changed then like being under people like that and learning so much more about the style of drinks and the, the influence of classics mixed with, um, yeah, sort of new ingre- or new Australian ingredients and stuff like that.
1: Like many Australians, you headed to the UK and London. Uh, how different was it working over there in the bars and pubs compared to Australia?
0: Yeah, London was totally different. Like I went there with grand ideas to get back into the sort to of top restaurants and bars, and unfortunately, when I got there, the job I was after, yeah, it wasn't there. And then I found myself working in a cocktail bar in the suburbs, and. It sort of took a while to adjust, but yeah, London's one of those places where you just like you really you really love the energy. It's just so diverse, and um, yeah, it took me a bit, but I sort of finally got my way into the upper end of town around sort of Soho, Um, and like yeah, Soho and near Carnaby Street. And I guess like at that time, that's when like Soho House was around. China White and Movita, like a few other cool bars. So, yeah, it was a really good time, really special. Um, yeah.
1: there was Those venues were uh, renowned for a lot of famous people coming in. Do you have any tales you can tell us and experiences from those days? Um,
0: yeah, I guess to paint a picture, I guess we were in just off Oxford sort of circus and uh, the owner of the place we uh, helped set up um, was a famous football club. And uh, yeah, some of the tales, were, I guess, the people from Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels <laughs> were our regular customers. Um, and we, had, we had a couple of crazy nights there. We <laughs> were drinking like the main scene of Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. And I remember that time, like, yeah, as crazy as it was, I just, the first couple of weeks that like, they'd come in and I was so excited to see them in the bar. But yeah, eventually it, it kicked off, and we had a we had a lock in to remember.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you came back to Australia, but also detoured away from hospitality again. What was, what was the decision behind that?
0: Like I said, London's one of those cities that we worked so hard. Like we'd sort of sometimes start, you know, in the morning, nine am, and then finish at two in the morning, and then enjoy ourselves till 5am and I guess I just burnt myself out and when I come back to Australia I made a really conscious decision to stop doing that and um, I sort of reached out to a friend of mine at Pernod Ricard at the time and sort of explained my situation like still love hospitality and being around it but I guess I really wanted to eliminate myself from those temptations of late nights Um, so I sort of focused for the next two years to um, work at a hotel, but still away from my like, alcohol and booze. And I, I just worked as a commissioner on the driveway at five-star hotel in Sydney. Yeah.
1: What's the life like of a of a doorman? What what's the glimpse into people's lives that you can share?
0: <laughs> it's an eye opener, <laughs> to be honest. Like at the start, I was I didn't think how yeah, like how fun and how different it is to like the other bit of hospitality but I guess some of the stories and and some of the cars you get to path was this next level um you know from like Rolls-Royce Phantoms to Ferraris the Lamborghinis 911s and I get like it's sort of weird because you know you think oh yeah you always want one of those cars but they're so hard to drive (laughs) I don't want one and, and I guess the other, the glimpse was the eye. And I was just, yeah, the revolving door at the hotel of the people coming in, like rich and famous, crazy.
1: It wasn't long after that that you ventured out with the uh, little Avalon bar and restaurant. How, how did that come about? And tell us a bit about it.
0: Yeah, I, I guess when I was at the hotel, I made that conscious decision to work for one of the spirit companies. But obviously GFC hit and the job I was after wasn't there anymore. So good friends of mine from Avalon rung up and they wanted, they're they in need of someone to help them with the restaurant. And I sort of swore to myself that I'll, I wouldn't go back into the, the game, but I just love it. And so that 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 uh, fishing line reeled me up to Avalon and we we're back on, I guess. And up there was the same. It was, you know, people appreciate the good food, the good service. And um, as everyone knows, like Avalon and Palm Beach is... It's got some characters, you know, very arty, beautiful music scene. And, yeah, like, it, it was good times. I'm, I'm not going to lie.
1: That led to the creation of a couple of really big venues uh, in North Sydney and in the CBD of Sydney. Um, tell us what, what it took to pull the treehouse together and the art house.
0: Yeah, correct. Well, I just sort of jumped on, off, obviously, after the art house was already established, but... um we helped set up the treehouse in North Sydney, which was a 250-seater restaurant bar um, that sort of housed around 50 staff on the books, and it was really it was really sort of special at the time. Like North Sydney was coming back out of a bit of a slump, and you know, Vodafone, Coca-Cola, a couple of big operators sort of taking their leases up there, and. It was the main focus to try and get North Sydney alive again, I guess. And, yeah, th- th- those times were, were amazing. Like, to think about it, it was so busy from the get-go. Like, we'd be doing up to 400, you know, every lunch. Like, on Tuesday, Wednesdays, just non-stop. And it, was, it was a bit much at the start for everyone to um, adjust to. But eventually, like, yeah, I guess, to be honest, it took about two years to iron out the kinks. And then by then it was just a well-oiled machine. And, um, yeah, we could consistently do that day in, day out.
1: What does it take to run a venue that can cope with that many covers a day?
0: A lot of prep. (laughs) A lot of chefs. It was, yeah, it was at the start. I'm not going to lie. It was was really tough. But um, a, a couple of the other bar managers and operators in the team had come from other large venues, so... We sort of really knew how to set the systems up, set the training up, and just focus on that consistency. And yeah, we got there.
1: What made you uh, let go of those restaurants and uh, move to Queensland?
0: Yeah, I I guess after about like five years, I was I was after a new challenge, and I really always said to myself, I always wanted to do my own thing. And I know everyone says that. And I, I was, like, questioning myself for a bit, but I thought if I go to a new new city, I met, I met my girlfriend, obviously, she was from Brisbane. And so I'm like, I forced myself to come to a new city and focus on trying to get ahead with less distractions. And, um, yeah, so I moved to Brisbane. And, yeah, it was hard at the start. For the first two years, I was just, you know, looking around for opportunities. But the Brisbane food scene, like, uh, four years ago it was like really going through a change, and there's some great operators up here, and I really felt like there's opportunity in this city. So, um, yeah, I, I took a lease on a small sort of shipping container in the back end of the valley, like the worst spot. <laughs> wow, people were laughing at me, and I was just like, yeah. Anyway,
1: <laughs> well, tell us about Milkbox, the that you created in the shipping container.
0: Yeah, so it was just a little like coffee shop, and uh, yeah, at the start it was this huge construction site across the road. Is they're building like 900 apartments or something ridiculous, and uh, I was convinced that this end of the valley. It really reminded me of like Commonwealth Street, the bottom of Surrey <laughs> Hills, you know. And I'd I tell people like, "This bit's the bit, like, <laughs> where, this is where it's at," and people would be looking at me like, "No, mate, this is not where it's at." <laughs> Even to this day, like, some good operators or some other friend operators in Brisbane are like, mate, you're in the wrong spot. But I I feel... Anyway, so I worked hard, like, in the milk box, building that up. And, yeah, it took a couple of years to get it going. But the Valley is, like, one of those places where it's... I guess, always joke, it's like the poor man's version of King's Cross. But around here, there's, like, a lot of, like, tech hubs. And unfortunately... Before COVID, it was a real buzz with that sort of environment. But uh, after like COVID hit, a lot of them had sort of gone back to San Francisco, and a lot of them moved to Melbourne as well.
1: How important was the milk box in uh, creating what you're doing now?
0: I, it was. I guess it was really important. Like at the time, I just kept saying to myself, like, if you work hard here, consistency. Um, I had a great friend from Sydney come up to help me and yeah, he used to work in Mr. Wong. So it was a bit of adjustment to go from Mr. Wong to working in a shipping container. <laughs> but we put the effort in and like from that, uh, we, I met the developer from across the road. His name's uh, Tim Gurner. Uh, they're from Melbourne and, and I guess from that, like. I met them. They obviously Melbourne people love good coffee, so they'd all every time they'd come up to see the site, they'd come over and have a chat. And um, I guess they could see our hard work. Obviously, they knew a bit about our background, where we we're from, and hospitality, and they were keen to uh, give us a start in the front building of one of their new tenancies.
1: Well, um, Baja is a subterranean um, small venue. Tell us about the the concept and how it was born.
0: Yeah, the concept was born from, like, obviously I love, like, Mexican cuisine and and uh, everything about it, but I guess the concept was born from understanding, like, the Brisbane market, like, what it was missing and what I needed to do to set up a, a venue in, in, in this city. So I sort of – the concept, I guess, was created from – the love of like in Sydney, Melbourne, there's, you know, there's Mexican restaurants everywhere, but in Brisbane at the time, there's only like Tex-Mex. Um, so I sort of saw a hole in the market. Um, so I guess with that, that was my plan. It's, it's a tiny, tiny space, well it's 64 seats, um, located on Brunswick street in Brisbane. And I'd had some friends, out from San Francisco, and uh, the the Mexican chefs from uh, Oaxaca, Mexico, from a famous restaurant called El Destilado. And so I got them to uh, help me with the menu design, and the plan was to get them out here. But, well, they were out here at the time, and they went back home, but then I had like some visa troubles trying to get them back out. <laughs> and so I ended up flying out there the head chef from El Destilado, Valerie Fry. Yeah. And so, yeah, she's got an amazing story coming out of, she was out of Germany and then she went and worked in Oaxaca for two years and then came out here and helped me for the first year to get the restaurant going.
1: Well, tell us about the offering that you have. How do you create that sort of original uh, authentic Mexican feel in, in Australia, which doesn't really understand or um, have experienced something like that.
0: Yeah. The, at, the, at the start when Julio was out here before we were opening up, um, we did like tastings and testing menus. And some of the stuff like he was creating was, it was nothing like I'd had before, which got me really excited. And it, yeah, it was just, it's so different, I guess, to any, other oh, Mexican restaurant I'd been to, sort of, out here in Australia, um, and yeah, some of the offerings that we sort of created was um, well received through our guests coming out.
1: The last year and a half has been challenging for for many. What sort of impact has uh, it had on you and the restaurant? Of-
0: yeah, it's it's been pretty tough. Like, I guess when the first lockdown kicked in um, to let everyone go was was really hard. Um, that was the only decision I had as a small operator. I, you know, I didn't ha- have reserves. And, yeah, it was hard, but I, I didn't want to give up. So we kicked in takeaways straight away. Um, and it was sort of funny at the start. Like, it started off with me and the head chef. And I was on the phone, like, taking the orders. I turned my restaurant into a bottle shop. I'm flipping tacos, helping out. on the phone, taking the orders. And uh, it got hectic. <laughs> I was just so, so stre- It was too much. I was like, H-. so then I could hire a bartender back and then I hired another person back and it, and it was good. And then we got it going. And um, so when we come out of the lockdown, yeah, we, we were looking good. But these next two lockdowns have sort of really affected us. Like, it, Once they kick in, it takes about two weeks to sort of get back up on top.
1: So it would be unsustainable if I was to be honest. With the changes that you've had to implement, did it did it affect what you offer and what you think you need to offer moving forward?
0: Yeah, correct. Like, I feel like I lost my way a bit on on what I'm trying to achieve in this market. Like, I, I don't want to be compared to like the other Mexican restaurants in the city. Obviously, that that sort of it's always going to happen. But I really want to have something. I really want to create like an environment and a vibe where. It's super refined, and re- really give an experience that you can't get that anywhere else in Brisbane, in in that sort of channel.
1: Is there any uh, changes that you've implemented that you're keen to keep going?
0: Yeah, de- definitely. Like with my kitchen, obviously I'm front of house. Re- like moving forward, it's it's just laying down some new procedures and policies, I guess, and with that creative design, just really getting the whole team behind it and like menu tasting where it's not just me and the chef, it's like where it's me and everyone and and really making sure that everyone in the team believes in what we're trying to achieve.
1: What sort of impact has the last year and a half had on, on you personally?
0: Uh, yeah, that's a tough one. It's been pretty hard, if I was to be honest. I'm, I guess I'm one of those people that like I work hard and I believe in what I'm doing and, yeah, there's been times there I was just like, oh, this is sort of too much. Um, so I think moving forward from now, like, my focus is to try and enjoy like a day off and, yeah, focus on the health a bit more, for us, to be honest with
1: you. <laughs> with the uh, current lockdowns uh, in New South Wales and sort of random ones all across the country. What sort of impact does it have on what you do in the city? Is it noticeable?
0: It, it It is noticeable. Like the thing is, there's some bits of the city that are really popping. Um, They have got a strong following and obviously they've been in the game for a long time. But what I'm hearing from like a lot of different other operators is like the weekends are still great, but the weekdays are just not where they need to be. And I I wonder if that's, like, to do with, like, obviously lack of tourists, Um, Mm. if everyone's working from home. Like, I feel like that vibe of that weeknight, you know, let's just go for dinner, not corporate, but just that friends, you know, that want to go out during the week, it's just not as enticing. And I feel it's tough for a restaurant. Like, you need to be busy minimum four days a week, and then you might sort of see a return on that, so... I'm really hoping that this summer explodes back to where the Brisbane food scene needs to be.
1: For for someone that's um, hopped in and out of hospitality and got drawn back in, what is it that you love about the industry and what you do?
0: I guess I really love that design and creating of a, of a restaurant. Like, there's nothing better than going to, like, a new restaurant and just seeing all the different elements that, has been put into it to make it something really special. And I, like hospitality, yeah, like I've said, I've been doing it for a long time. And um, yeah, I guess some of the, the things that I love out of it is, yeah, just seeing that design, the food, and people really trying to do their own thing, you know what I mean, create a, an experience that no one else is creating. And I think there's a, there's an art in that.
1: Tell us a bit about that art and your creative process. There's many different ways to be a restaurateur, but how do you approach it and what gives the the best experience from your perspective?
0: My perspective is like for, for Baja, my perspective was always about something being really light and fresh. And obviously that starts from the entrance when people are walking in to seeing the door host, you know, making sure that, the way the table settings are set, the way the flow plan of the restaurant runs, kitchen design, the way they can execute it without dramas and then for bar design as well. I've like Obviously, over the years, I've worked in places where I really question the architect or the kitchen designer or from back of house to, and I guess when I designed this restaurant, I really wanted to make sure that I ticked those boxes and it's quite funny because I really wanted to make sure the bar was built like this and done like that and still then get through to the designer. <laughs> Maybe next time, right?
1: Your career is uh, marked by a, a need for change to do something new after um, some, doing something quite well over a period of time. Do you have any plans in the future that you can tell us about?
0: Um, yeah, at, at the moment, like before these two lockdowns kicked in, I was really focused on doing something new and something more exciting and, and so, something elevated where it's more cross between like bar and and some signature dishes. But at the moment I'm just going to sit back for a second and uh, and uh, enjoy what I've got, I think. Be grateful for what i got, definitely.
1: Well, it's a great sentiment, Daniel, and we've loved having you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear your story. Um Good luck, and please keep in touch. And we'll talk again soon.
0: Yeah, thanks, Huck. Thanks for having me on the show. Much appreciated.
1: This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au Stay safe and be well.